This is your story. This is my story. But most of all, this is the greatest story ever told. This is God's story. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord he has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. They are unfaithful to the Lord. They give birth to illegitimate children. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. You were just hearing the, the words of Isaiah. I'm sorry, not Isaiah. Hosea. Hosea chapters 4 five and 14 excerpts from there warnings really they were written uh, many many years ago but when we started in that passage it could have been written last week it could have described uh, the situation that we live in too it seems that after the kingdom was divided as we read through the story together once the kingdom was divided, you think after Solomon had made such a mess of things and, and it started to come apart that Israel would have awakened and, and they would have turned. But actually, that was not the case. They were on this journey with God and they had taken one more detour. And rather than reading the signs and turning around and going back, they found themselves just pled, pushing forward and doing as, it, as they thought best. I don't know if you've driven between... How many of you have driven between here and Dallas? And you know, you know there's that place about halfway between, maybe not quite so, where, where, where you've got to choose between uh, Interstate 75 and State Road 75. Anybody ever gotten off on the wrong side of that thing? Huh? And, you know, usually I'm the kind of guy that if I know I've taken a wrong turn, I'll, I'll, I'll notice it quickly. I'll turn around, go back, and get on the right track. But, but I was listening to the radio or something and was probably 10 minutes down State Road 75. It was dark and it was, and it was, and uh, so I just thought, well, I'll just push ahead. Uh, eventually, this has got to come back to 75, surely. And, and I thought it would be in, in five minutes. It wasn't. I thought I could find uh, gas stations along the way. I couldn't. Uh, ever, ever had one of those kind of situations where, where you miss it? Uh, Courtney and I, Courtney, Courtney's about to start driving. Which, pray for us. Yeah, no, she's going to be a great driver. We, 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 were, we were coming back from Oklahoma City last night, and, you know, now I'm the parent trying to teach my daughter how to drive, and we were noticing the signs, signs that I have never noticed. 
between here and Oklahoma City. You know, it's amazing what will sometimes open your eyes and help you hear what you haven't hear, heard before or see what, what you haven't seen before. I wonder how you are as a driver. If you were going down the road, rough road ahead, what kind of driver are you? We, we've been uh, talking amongst ourselves for three or four minutes in the middle of a message just so we can interact with each other a little bit as well as with the message from up front. And uh, which kind of driver are you? I want to give you three options here. Here's the first one. Maybe you're the kind of person that when you see that sign, you actually do slow down to 20 miles an hour. God bless you. God bless you. And second of all, you slow slightly and see. Maybe there's something up ahead. I'll slow from, from 55 to 54 and see where that takes me. You know, maybe you slow down a little bit. You're a little more alert. Or maybe you're, what sign? Uh, maybe that's how you, now some of you guys may not even be driving yet, but you kind of know the person you are, right? So why, why don't you, uh, why, let, let's get in touch with what kind of drivers and, and how we respond to signs here this morning. Just take a few fun minutes to talk to somebody around you for the next two or three minutes. What kind of answer would you give and why? Give it a go. Well, y'all are really getting good at that. I wasn't sure that was going to really generate that much discussion. But uh, how many of you, because you're in church, felt pressure to answer the first box? How many of you went there? Well, good. We're, we're reaching a level of honesty in this place that I can appreciate. That's good. That's good. Well, well here's the story with Israel. They've, they've, got, they've got these prophets that keep telling them, hey, we're going down the wrong road. Uh, we've made a wrong turn. Uh, God wants us to go a different direction. And for the most part, their reaction is what sign? For the most part, they, they, just, they just push straight ahead. In fact, probably the only exception to that is when a prophet from Israel goes to a place that's not Israel at all. Jonah goes to Nineveh. 
And Nineveh actually turns around. Nineveh takes the detour and goes back towards God. But sometimes it's those of us who have been on the road the longest with the Lord. Maybe we think we know better. But we tend to get uh, sign resistant. A word that's meant for us, we might just let roll over to call waiting. I bet Israel wishes that they would have taken this call. In, in these years, there's about 208 years where the kingdom is divided, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, because of Solomon's unfaithfulness. God said, uh, I, I can't continue to bless this and it not misrepresent me in the world. I, I'm going to strip this kingdom away from you to show my displeasure. And, and instead of showing the alignment between us, I've, I've got to show the world the disalignment between us. You know what? Uh, the world will get a completely wrong impression of who I am. If you were my representative in the world, we're not going this way. God was clear about it. He was patient, but Solomon was stubborn, and, and he ripped the kingdom away from his son. Two kingdoms now, northern and southern, and you think they'd catch on, but, but not so. They just keep going down the same path. In fact, over the next 208 years, they have 38 kings, if you count them all up, in the northern kingdom and in the southern kingdom, over 208 years. How many presidents have we had over about the same amount of time? Does anybody know what Obama is? What is he, number what? 40, 44? 44, we're saying? We've got some people who know. 44? Uh, so about, about the same amount of presidents as we've had over 200 years. They had kings in northern and southern kingdoms. And of all those kings, do you realize that the Bible says that of those 38 kings, all but five were not just less than your choice of a good king, all but five were considered evil. Now, you know, we've got different opinions about our presidents, but, but, but I don't know that we could find five that we would consider downright evil. Maybe misguided, maybe not so wise, maybe adopting policies that, that, that we wouldn't champion, but, but evil? This is, this is the people of God, and they're kings for 208 years, all but five of them, God considered not only misguided, but downright evil. That's a scary thing. So it goes, it goes from bad to worse. And if the kings are someone through whom God cannot represent himself to the people, he doesn't just give up on them. He starts raising up others that will speak for him and relate to the people in his name. And those are the prophets. So during this time when these kings are exceptionally uh, wicked... God raises up prophets. Um, and Hosea is one of those. Uh, Elijah is, is one of those. For 208 years, God practices patience with his people. But his patience doesn't mean that he's passive. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't love us and not continue to try to pursue us. And he does that through the prophets. There are nine prophets that are raised up over this time in northern Israel, and they often speak words of correction to the king and to the people as they go down these detours away from God. I heard a story of a couple of pastors that were prophets of a sort. They were, they were actually uh, up north. Both of them were, were Scandinavian in, in their descent, uh, Reverend Ollie and uh, Reverend Sven. They were seen pounding a sign uh, 
in the ground together just outside their churches. They were right across the street from one another. And as they were pounding it into the, in the ground, people could read it as they went by. And, and, and it would have read, The end is near. Turn yourself around now. Before it's too late. And as they were pounding it in the ground, the, the uh, uh, passers-by, one of them actually hung his head out the door. And he says, Leave us alone, you Scandinavian religious nuts. Blows his horn and just keeps on bearing. He goes around the corner out of sight. And all of a sudden you hear the, the screeching of tires and, 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 and screams from the car. And this huge concussive thud. <laughs> Pastor Sven turns to Pastor Ollie and he says, Ah, do you think maybe the sign should just say bridge out? I kind of like that one. Yeah. The signs. Will we listen to God when he speaks? The truth of the matter is he really is speaking in our best interest. It's the voice of one who loves us. God raises up these prophets. He raises up Elijah in a time where Israel was heading downhill fast. Uh, king Ahab was the king at the time. You'll read about this in 1 Kings 18. And it says of kings, King Ahab that he was more evil than all the kings before him. And there had been a few already. More evil than all before him. He was setting new standards. And, and it didn't seem to help uh, his choice in brides. He, he married a woman that Still rings with infamy today, Jezebel. Has that ever heard that? Oh, that's a Jezebel for sure. And, you know, someone who's promiscuous and, and, and uh, vindictive and power hungry, Ahab and Jezebel. Well, in 1 Kings 18, uh, I'm going to try to tell this story as quickly as I can. Elijah. Uh, Elijah is fulfilling God's word. He's spoken to the king and he says, this is going so bad, God's going to call a famine on this land until I call it off. And Elijah then goes out to a cave and hides out waiting for God to tell him different. And he ends up in this cave for three years. And after three years, Elijah gets the word from God that it's time for rain to come again. So he comes back down. He runs into one of the king's servants out that's looking for some, for some uh, brooks that are still flowing where they can find the water. Obadiah is his name. And, and, and he says, go tell the king that, that I request an audience with him. And Obadiah says, what do you mean? Go, uh, the king will kill me if I don't come back with you. And I'm going to tell him where you are. And then by the time he gets here, you're poof. You're going to be gone again. It'll be my neck. I'm not going to. What are you talking about? And and, and in that conversation, Obadiah says, am I not the one who when Ahab uh, and, and Jezebel decided to wipe out all the prophets of the Lord, did I not, was I not the one that gave 50 in one cave and 50 in another cave uh, a cover from, from their wrath and actually saved their lives? And may, maybe... Maybe Elijah's hearing this for the first time because now it becomes more than just about telling Ahab God's going to turn on the water again. He confronts Ahab and he says, find all of your prophets. All of your prophets of other gods, of Baal and of the Asherah. And there are 450 of Baal and another 400. And so 850. How many does uh, Elijah have on his side? Elijah. And he says, meet me at Mount Carmel. It's time for a showdown. They go up on Mount Carmel. And do you remember what happens here? This is a great story if you've never heard it before. It's the first time that trash talk is recorded in the Bible, I think. Here, here, here is Elijah up there on the side of the mountain. He says, okay, this is what we're going to do. 
We're, we're, we're going to bring, bring two sacrifices, two bulls. We're going to sacrifice the bulls. We're going to build altars. And you call down fire from heaven from, for, 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 to light your altar. And, and I'll speak to my God. And we'll, we'll, whoever lights the fire is, is, is the true God. But before he says that, he turns to the people and he says, How long will you waver? How long will you continue in this indecision between whether or not you're going to follow God and whether or not you're going to follow something else, the balls in this case, these, these other gods? Get on with who it is. If God is God, serve Him. Or if the balls are God, serve them. But, but this indecision is getting you nowhere. How long will you waver? And so they build the altar. First of all, the, the, all the, you know, that, maybe because they had 450, they got it built faster. But they build their altar and they start calling on God in the morning. Here comes the trash talk, Elijah. After they've called and called and they're, they're starting to dance before the altar and nothing happens, you know, they get even louder and nothing happens. They start cutting themselves in order to get their God's attention and they're bleeding everywhere and still nothing. And Elijah goes, hey, fellas, maybe, uh, maybe you ought to call a little louder. Yeah. Yeah, maybe your God's on vacation. <laughs> maybe your God's hard of... You think I'm making this up. No, this is what Elijah said. Maybe your God's hard of hearing. <laughs> Call out a little louder. Maybe, maybe he's just let you go over to uh, voicemail. You know, he didn't say that. But, but, but he's just trash-talking these, these balls. And, and then after all that, he says, okay, now then... Let, let's make an altar to the Lord. They put the, the sacrifice on that, and it, it, it doesn't seem satisfactory to Elijah. He says, okay, get, get, soak it down. Soak it down with water. And they soak it down. Not enough. Soak it down again. He soaks it down. Still not enough. Soak it down again. The trench around it was full of water, a huge moat around this thing. You understand? A couple of Boy Scout troops with pyrotechnics couldn't have lit this thing. It, it is soaked, this wood. And, and, and then... And then Elijah calls out to God. And when he calls out to God, you know, this is fire comes out of heaven. And it not only consumes the offering, it completely vaporizes the water and all of the wood. And the people, what do they do? Oh, God is God. All of a sudden it's clear now. And you think that would have turned them around, but not so. Not so. There for a moment, they acknowledge God for who God really is, but we know how it is after mountaintop experiences that sometimes those don't last. The convictions that we form in a moment, if not reinforced, sometimes wane, and that's exactly what happens. How long will you waver? But you say, you know, we don't worship the balls today. We, we don't worship other gods, other false gods. Do we not? Do, do we not struggle with idols in our society as much as maybe they even did back then in a different way? It wasn't too long ago. Do you remember on, it was, it was a Black Friday, one of those big shopping days. Do you remember when everybody was lined up outside the building so, so much so that they were going to rush in and get their buys? Do you remember that report that went out? It was four or five years ago, I think, that, that in the rush to get into the store, one of those that opened the door was actually trampled and killed. Anybody remember that story? What is, is that whacked or what? How, how, how much do we 
sometimes worship our stuff or our celebrity or our own glory or our building our own kingdoms and forget about God and God's. God says, this is my gift to you, my earth. This is my Father's world. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Be responsible with it. Bless one another with it. But it's one thing to be stewards of all we have, and it's another thing to cross over into worshiping it. God says, enjoy all these things, but worship me only. The prophets still speak to us today. They didn't turn. I think it's easy sometimes to mistake God's graciousness and God's patience for a God that must be distant and uninterested. A God that is apathetic about our situation or how we choose to live. A God that's permissive, perhaps, could be a misread on God's patience. How long will you waver? How long will you choose to feed on the junk food of this world and neglect feeding upon the bread of life? Idols. Even today, I think we're easily distracted to them, make them more a part of our diet than we realize. Maybe the words of the prophets are signs for us. One of the most striking prophetic Messages and images in all of the Old Testament. It's not as dramatic as this one, uh, but it still speaks powerfully is that one of Hosea. Hosea was quite a prophet. It wasn't just amazing what he said, it was downright scandalous what he did. In fact, I've never used Hosea as a text for, um, for wise dating practices. Okay, so let me just put that disclaimer out there front and foremost. God comes to Hosea, his prophet, and says, this is what I want you to do. I, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. Prostitute. I, I even stuttered when I said it. A prostitute. I want you to go marry a prostitute. Is God's prophet? Yes, that's what God asked him to do. But right there, when he asked him, Hosea must have known some of what he was up to because God reveals right in that moment that He's equating that relationship to the relationship that that he feels that he now has with Israel. And so Hosea does that. He goes and he marries this prostitute whose name is Gomer. And and you hope this is going to be a redemptive story. You know, true love comes and saves this, this woman who's looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love and too many faces looking for you know you're, you're hoping it's going to be a, a song that gets turned around here somehow but she can't get off that tune right and, and so Hosea loves her and loves her deeply and, and loves her from the heart and, and supports her and, and yet she still heads out at night and, and actually the way it describes it is that she still goes out at night because of all of the the financial perks and the power it gives her to still live in that lifestyle, right? So, so she's continuing to do this, and uh, Hosea apparently is uh, spending a lot of time at home alone in the evenings. And then God 
tells Hosea to do something even more surprising. He says, Hosea, I, I want you to go and uh, I, I want you to pay for her services. I want you to go and buy her back from her pimp, right? From, from, from the one who owns her in this business that she's involved in. And so, so Hosea obeys. He obeys. He goes and, and uh, he buys her back. Can you imagine the shock for Gomer as she walks out in her finery there to see another customer and she discovers there her husband, Hosea. I wonder what she expected. What would you expect? Yeah, brazen, get back, you know, what would you expect? Some, some self-righteous kind of, kind of rage? But, but this is Hosea's message. It hasn't been these others all this time that have, has been your support and your provider. It's, it's, it's been me. I am the one who loves you. And, and Gomer, I still love you. Gomer, please, come home. Come home. And in the book, Hosea, it kind of leaves us there as a cliffhanger. Well, we don't know really what became of that relationship. It leaves us wondering, what was, what was Gomer's decision in that moment? Did, did she hear the heart of the one who loved her most? Or did she decide that her old patterns were good enough for her and, and, and she would just stay in them? For, for the rest, from about... Uh, chapter 4 on in the book of Hosea, it, it's not the, the life of Hosea that's the message. It's the words of Hosea that is the message. And, and in those words, in about uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 4, it says that, Israel, you will not turn from your behaviors. You're so caught up in these behaviors that you cannot turn back to God. Do, do you know that, that once we rebel against God, that can create certain patterns in our lives that that are hard to arrest. It's, a, it's a kind of a slippery downhill slope. It, 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 sin is not hard to build momentum in. You know? Because of your behaviors, you, you, you do not turn. And yet, the same message to Israel is the message that, that Hosea lived with his life towards his wife, Gomer. God, over and over again in the Scriptures, talks about His relationship with us like a marriage. It's a covenant. Oh, Israel, have I not been a husband to you? When we are baptized into the faith, when we decide to make Jesus our Lord and Savior, it's, it's like a spiritual marriage. It's a covenant. In the same way marriage is a covenant. So in Ephesians 5, when it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, it, it's comparing covenant to covenant. It's so similar. And we who have said yes 
to God's proposal to us in Jesus are, are in a very intimate way married with God, in covenant with God. So much of the time, don't you, I, I see my life not so much by the heart level covenant, but more by outward behaviors. You know, and, and I can say to God, God, I, I haven't committed adultery. Right? But isn't it true that when you're in a relationship that intimate, that there's, there's no greater wound to the heart than when you discover that the one that you love that deeply, the one that you love this vulnerably, is unfaithful in heart to you. And we sense that, don't we, with our relationship with God? And we, and we wonder, we wonder if He was to ever confront us, if He was to ever step right into our lives, would, what, what would He have to say? You, you, you sinful wretch. You, you ungrateful cuss. What, 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 what would God, who loves us like that, say in that moment? Listen, God's saying, I'm like Hosea. I'm like Hosea. My greatest desire is just to live with you and you live with me. And let's let that unfold in, in, in a beautiful relationship with one another. Let, let's do life like that together. God simply turns to us in, in all of our wayward heartness. And he says, I've paid the price for that already. I've shed my blood. I've paid the price for whatever you feel that you owe to make things right. I've already done that. All that's left is the embrace. Won't you please come home? We find Jesus saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, in that place of wavering, in that place of, well, God sounds good, but so does this. In, in, in that place of wavering, there's only so much of God that can, we, we can really get to know. How, how well would you have gotten to know your wife if the relationship had remained at that place where we were still dating around? You understand? And God's saying there's so much more for us than this. And we've already pledged ourselves to one another. Let's build a marriage. I want that kind of life with you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. What would God do if we turned to him like that? Jesus showed us. Jesus showed us. He said there was, a, there was a son that had so disparaged his father's name. It was as if he had said, I would be happy for you to be dead. Because isn't that what you're saying when you say before your dad ever dies, Hey, dad, can you forward me the inheritance? 
I really don't want to hang out here anymore. And Jesus tells a story about two sons like that. One stays at home, but one is that brazen. He says, you know, I'm really in this just for me. Why don't you go ahead and forward the inheritance to me? I got some other things I'd rather be doing than spending time with you. And so he goes away and he spends his fortune and he has his great time, but, but it ends up being bankrupt and there's nothing in it for him. And he's, he finds himself in a horrible situation. And he says, well, where, where can I go? Where can I go? Well, even my father would treat me fairly if I went home to him. I'll go to him. I know what I'll do. I'll say, Father, I have sinned before God and before you. And, and uh, I, I, I know I'm a mess, but would you receive me as a mess? I mean, I've seen how you're even fair to your servants. Make, that's it. Make, make me a servant. Make me a slave of you. Wouldn't that be just if I was willing to be your slave? Not specially treated. No connection of heart. But, but could you just get me out of this fix and let me be your slave? I would be your slave for life. And he's rehearsing this, this, this story as he's going home, as Jesus tells it, and he, he's running over it in his mind. And, and even before he can get into town, he's, he's still walking into town, someone has already caught his figure on the horizon. He recognizes his gait. He didn't know if anybody would remember him now that he's been away from home so long. But as he walks into town in the wretched mess that he is, someone's already running to him from out of town, and he realizes it's his father. His father's completely forgotten himself. He's probably one of the most respectable men in town. And yet he, he, he's running like a, like a Jewish schoolgirl in the day. You know, he's, he's hiked up his, his, his uh, whatever thing they wear, and, and, he, and, he's, and he's, he's exposed his legs, and he's, he's running to his son. You know what I mean? This is like, you remember when your dad used to mow the lawn in dress shoes and, and, and dress socks, you know, with those plaid shorts? This is what this moment is. This is a moment of great embarrassment for everyone but the father who doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He doesn't care what, what anybody says. His son is on the horizon. His son for whom his heart has ached all these days and all these nights, for whom his prayers have ascended over and over again, his son is within reach. He can see him and no one could have held him back. He runs through town. He runs through town. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. And, and when he wraps his arms around his son, people were probably already gathering around. Yeah, we know this guy. We know what he li- he's like. We know what he's done. We know his reputation. How dare he come back into town? And we know what the law says. Any son that disregards his family's reputation and his family's name and so disgraces those who love him like this, anyone who disgraces him like that, this one deserves to die. We must make him an example for everyone else in the community not to be so rebellious. In fact, Anybody like that, it's said in the law, you must take up stones and stone that person to death so that the whole society doesn't go to heck in a handbasket. That was the idea. And it's almost as if this father is running so fast because he's going to get there before anybody has the time to pick up a stone. And then once he's there, he falls on his son's neck and he's kissing him and he's holding him. And his son, I can hear him trying to get out his, his story. Father, Father, I've, I've sinned before God and before he gets you all, just shut up, son. And he's holding him, you know, and he's kissing his neck and he, he's holding him to himself. And if anybody wants to stone this son, the only way you're going to do it is to take out the father first. You throw any stone at this son, he is so wrapped up in his father's love, so forgiven in his grace, the only way you're going to take him out is to take out his father. But in our story, it's not the father that was taken out. It was our elder brother 
It was Jesus that had so the heart of the Father in him that he said, whatever's do them, do it unto me. And he absorbed all the wrath that was due us so that when we come to God through Jesus Christ, all that's already paid for, all that's already settled, and who stands before us is, is our Hosea. Saying, all that matters is how deeply I love you. All that matters is that I've already paid the price. All that matters is that I have already bought you back. Will you come home? Will you come home? You'll never hear the voice of God calling out to you. You'll never hear him say no without first hearing him say that yes. That's the voice calling to us from the prophets. I, I don't know what he would say to you this morning. If it asked you to turn from something or turn towards something. If it asked you to get busier about this or if it asked you to take a break from that. But I know before, whatever he would say to you specifically, he would first say, just come home. Just come home. In your own heart right now, would you quit listening to my voice and listen to his? Listen to his. And just like Gomer and Hosea, you and he get to tell the rest of the story. Would you stand with me? Lord God, for a love like that, we thank you. For loving us so much, you won't leave us where we've strayed. We thank you. And Lord God, this morning, in whatever way, we need to hear your voice, that voice that loves us that deeply. Help us not, Father, to ignore the call. Speak to us now. Speak to us. And God, I pray that your love will have so worked already in our hearts that whatever you ask, whatever you say, our hearts will respond with yes. 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 To the one that loves me most. Earnestly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Here is invitation to you this morning. Amen.